Labira Podcast. Research matters. Welcome to a new series of the Labira Podcast. During this series, we will continue our aim to bring research-based conversations to a wider audience, discussing some of the key aspects of research, policy, and practice. I'm Nick Johnson, the Chief Executive of Labira, and I'll be your host as we take us through the series. Episodes are released weekly on a Wednesday, and to make sure you don't miss out, please do subscribe using your usual podcast platform. Just search for Beer Podcast and follow the steps. In this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Lizzie Rushton and Linda Dunlop. Lizzie and Linda have led Beer's most recent research commission on education for environmental sustainability. Their innovative work has involved co-creating a manifesto in secondary education in the UK. And to achieve this, the commission they led designed five participative and inclusive online workshops for young people and teachers, drawn from across the four jurisdictions of the UK. These workshops created opportunities to share experiences of and visions for education for environmental sustainability. The manifesto was co-authored by participants and launched in November 2021 to coincide with COP26, the UN Climate Change Conference. The manifesto, the first of its kind for the UK, and accompanying technical reports present evidence in the form of documenting stakeholder perspectives to inform action in policymaking, practice and research. For those of you who are BIRA members, Lizzie and Linda have also put together the latest issue of Research Intelligence, which brings a range of perspectives to this topic, so please do check it out if you haven't already. And in today's conversation, we discuss the process that led to the creation of the manifesto, the links to research priorities and what kind of action is needed to enact meaningful change. Well, thank you both for, for joining the podcast today. Delighted to talk to you and, and look forward to finding out more about the, the work you did for the manifesto and beyond in due course. It would be great just to, for our listeners to introduce yourselves a little bit more. Tell us about your background, your sort of research history and journey, as it were, and, and how you got to where you are now. So, um, Lizzie, did you want to go first on that? Yeah, thank you very much, Nick, and thanks for having us. So I'm Lizzie Rushton. Um, I'm a lecturer in geography education at King's College London, where I look after the geography PGCE programme. That's the programme that supports people to become secondary school geography teachers. I myself am a former secondary school geography teacher. So I've spent time in the classroom in that context. And before that, I did a PhD in geography. So slowly moving from being a geographer geographer to being a geography educator and I guess that's self-explanatory in terms of the interest in education for environmental sustainability and that's um, often seen as something that geography teaches and geography contributes lots to so that's I guess a little bit of an intro to me. Yeah hi I'm Linda Dunlop I'm based at the University of York in the science education group where I teach and do research in science and environmental education. Prior to this what what was I a a chemistry teacher then involved in initial teacher education worked in the UK and Mexico and I guess immediately prior to this I was working on a large public engagement project in Northern Ireland engaging young people aged 11 to 14 on social and ethical issues associated with science, some of those environmental issues. So again, very relevant to the Commission and to Education for Environmental Sustainability. One or both of you, tell us a little bit about how, I suppose, the development of Education for Environmental Sustainability and where sort of the the idea came from and how it's, I mean, obviously, we know climate change is is the big issue in in the wider world. But in terms of the, the education element of it, where did that come from and how has it developed? Um, well, maybe I can say a little bit about my 
personal yeah. interest. So I had been involved in some work on fracking, speaking to young people and teachers in communities where fracking was happening. And I guess speaking to the young people and teachers there, it was kind of, it struck me as a bit of an absence in terms of what happens in, in mainstream schooling. So there was kind of an interest there in, in looking at what's needed, what teachers and young people think is important, regardless of what's written in kind of curriculum documents and so on. So yeah, that's my personal journey into <laughs> education for environmental sustainability. Um, yeah, I guess for me, it's I've always personally had an interest in the environment and in sustainability and in human interactions with the environment. Um, so my PhD looked at that in the context of Belize and the way that humans have shaped and been shaped by the environment. And then as secondary school geography teacher, you know, was w- working with young people who were super passionate about the environment and really felt that they had a contribution to make in that space. And that was regardless of which subjects they chose to study at secondary school. So then when working with people at the beginning of their careers as geography teachers, that being something that we explore in the programme and they, you know, they often would describe a sense of kind of tension and kind of uncertainty about how to bring that interest, that concern into the space of the classroom. So wanting more support and linking to what Linda said about fracking. So just thinking, well, actually, what can we do as as a science educator, as a geography educator in that space to contribute and help education in that way? And it it was probably just over a year ago now when the work of the Research Commission started. But no doubt you, I mean, as we know, you're thinking about it beforehand. Can you tell us where sort of the idea for the commission and what you wanted to do came from? So I think both Lizzie and I had been interested in creating spaces for young people and teachers to participate in in decision making about education. So I think that was kind of what the commission was based on, is what are the priorities that the people who are kind of most involved in education, what are their priorities for education, for environmental sustainability? So we wanted to involve them and to be as inclusive as we could in in our approach yeah recognizing that there's also something to be done in terms of how we communicate about environmental issues so using creative approaches so just thinking about that that the absolutely that's the focus is about enabling those conversations that dialogue between these two groups of people in this space of education teachers and young people and that actually previous work has often considered teachers and young people's perspectives separately and we wanted to kind of bring those perspectives together but also doing that in a where there's a tangible output that's co-created together so it's great to have those discussions and dialogue but actually what was driving that was this process of creating together the manifesto so there would be as I say, something tangible at the end for not only us as researchers, and, and but actually that there was a document that young people and teachers could point to and say, yeah, well, I had a I had a contribution to that. And then can you tell us a bit more about how, when you were establishing the commission, how that co-creation influenced what you wanted to do in it, as opposed to just the outcomes of it? What was the process that brought people along with you? So initially, it was really thinking about the expertise that we needed. And obviously, Linda and I have particular experiences in, and we, we needed to go beyond, way beyond that. So thinking about the groups that perhaps are less represented in environmental education spaces. So people with additional learning needs and, um, you know, environmental sustainability 
is frequently a quite a white middle class space. Um, so really wanting to think about ways that we could make that inclusive. So partnering with Black Environment Network, partnering with people from across the four jurisdictions of the UK so that it wasn't an England centric approach. So yeah, drawing on the expertise of, of other partners to help us think through how do we actually create space for the greatest possible range of opinions and perspectives and experiences. And I think those were really built into the kind of the design of the workshop. So as we were planning, our partners were involved in the planning of the workshops, thinking about what did we need to ensure that everybody could feel comfortable to to participate in those sorts of online spaces. Yeah, and in terms of those partners that you identified, you obviously look for some of the gaps or the expertise, but how did you go about recruiting the partners I suppose particularly with regard to those voices that often aren't heard in these debates what was the process by which you got people involved? Some of it was quite informal so we'd maybe met in other contexts so we we already were familiar with their work we talked about the idea of doing this piece of work so it evolved quite organically. When you got these workshops because you talked about some people being excluded from the conversations. I guess it's one thing to recruit them into workshops and into sort of participation. It's another thing to make sure their voices have confidence and get amplified. So can you tell us a bit about the process of the workshops and how you facilitated them to to ensure those voices were heard? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's important to kind of share that the workshops were one way for people to contribute. So we were aware that there were going to be some groups of young people that wouldn't feel comfortable secure to come to an online workshop with people that they hadn't met before with you know with um, facilitators that they didn't know and so one stream of work was working with our colleague um, Jane Essex from Strathclyde University to really think through how can we partner with teachers based in schools that support students with additional learning needs so that they can contribute in the way that they feel that is most appropriate. So that was in the form of their their kind of written and um, recorded responses that were created in school and were shared with the commission. And then those were fed through into the workshop so that other people could engage with those, but didn't require people to engage in a way that perhaps is a one way of seeing that engagement right um trying to broaden that out so i was thinking about the provocations we haven't really talked about the part of the recruitment to the workshops was really to give people a sense of i mean the intention that the framing of the of the workshops to give them a kind of a sense of what that was before they arrived so a sort of there was no buying involved so it's not try before you buy but you know inviting that 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 sense and so the provocations came from a, a really brilliant range of people in practice in research on different themes they were included a really wonderful poem from a community at Camp Hill community who did a wonderful poem about their um, response to the environment um, they were written and I guess that gave potential workshop participants that insight into perhaps what the conversations were going to be about and help them think about how they might want to contribute before they were actually in that space. Um, shall I say a little bit about yeah. the the actual workshops? Um, so during the workshops, we so we had an extended period of time, so like an hour and a half or two, two hours together. The first set were young people with young people or teachers with teachers, so with with peer groups. We had some time in, in a main room, but then we also had several breakout room discussions throughout where participants were in the same room as other, as a small number of other people for that whole session so that every time we asked them to reflect on something, you know, starting with, say, introductions and values and then talking about where we are now, what future we need to see, they were speaking to the same people 
feeling quite comfortable throughout the workshop and that was facilitated by one of one of the partners or research assistants working on the project so there were there was that opportunity even if they didn't say something to everyone that they were saying it in in a small room that was perhaps more comfortable The Vera blog aims to provide research-informed content on key educational issues to policymakers, academics, parents, teachers, educational leaders, members of school communities, and anyone interested in educational research. We've recently published our thousandth post and celebrated by republishing some of our favourite posts in a special issue. To view that and all the latest blogs, please visit www.vera.ac.uk forward slash blog. What, what were some of the bits of research or, or evidence that you used to augment the workshops in ter- as you developed the, the manifesto and the policy papers? What were some of the, the key things that influenced the, the course of the work? Um, we've just written a lot of papers. One of, the, one of the things that we did to begin with was to think about the ways that education for environmental sustainability has or hasn't been approached. One of the things um, that informed our design of the workshops, I think, is research that had been done on kind of futures thinking and futures approaches. So, I mean, I guess it's quite common in environmental issues, getting people to think about like what's a more desirable future? How do we get there from where we are now? So we we looked at the sort of work that had been done in terms of designing workshops to support that sort of futures thinking. And that kind of informed how we designed the workshops. And I think similarly on the creative arts side, side of things looking at how creative approaches had been used to in different sort of research settings both i suppose in terms of both that and also the the workshops one of the th- be interested to hear about were there things that were unexpected that came up or things that surprised you in terms of what people were saying or or some of the arguments being put forward yeah i think one of the things that surprised me a, a bit was that i had anticipated that by bringing together people from four different jurisdictions so you know England Scotland Wales Northern Ireland that there might be some some more positive I don't want to sound too negative but I'd anticipated that perhaps you know thinking about how sustainability is woven into the teacher curriculum in in Scotland and how Wales has got a new curriculum developing maybe that there were some things that we could think about for the English context there but actually some of the key barriers existed regardless of where you live so teacher time support in schools in terms of money resource support from leadership to to develop education for environmental sustainability unfortunately it still seems to be the work of one or two enthusiastic dedicated teachers in schools now that's not that I'm not saying that's universal but that's that seemed to be one of the consistent messages that and young people recognize that they recognize that they that their teachers needed more support more time and that seemed to be quite a common response and I I I personally was surprised by that I thought that maybe there would be a bit a bit more variety in that and particularly when you think about that these workshops were probably very likely to attract people who were working in that way already so that you know we that that I felt was a little bit disappointing in that sense. So was there generally as you say sort of commonality across the four jurisdictions it wasn't there wasn't the kind of divergence that you might have expected i think commonality in the barriers definitely i mean i think there were lots of examples of different ways to to weave in to foreground education for environmental sustainability but there was always this sense of overcoming something that there there wasn't this 
open invitation in any setting and certainly the, the people that we spoke to said oh no don't worry here's how we do it um where these barriers don't exist so i felt like the barriers were more persistent than perhaps i'd hoped and one of the things i think was interesting about the, the sort of the process and actually it's something you touch on in the in the editorial you've done for the latest issue of research intelligence is is the distinction between i suppose education around the environment and around sustainability but the, the sort of the emphasis on the i suppose the four environmental sustainability and and the activism can you tell us a little bit about how you see that distinction and and what you think some of the limitations of the i suppose the traditional approach which is education about have been so i think maybe the education for environmental sustainability, it's kind of thinking about opportunities for or the role of civic and political participation in relation to environmental issues. So not telling people what to think, but knowing how they can influence decisions. So thinking about different ways of being involved or influencing decisions about the environment. So things like voting, talking to people, protesting, petitions, those are all important ways of participating in society. And I think making sure that there's awareness of those different ways of of participating is really important. And and I think that was another kind of, not a surprise, but something that was another commonality was the agreement amongst teachers and young people that knowledge was really important, but not sufficient. So young people and teachers wanted to be able to um, have the the, the four element about, yes, okay, we need to know um, environmental, about environment sustainability in science and in geography and in other curriculum areas, but it's got to go beyond that. We've got to know what we're learning this for and, and actually have the skills and capabilities to be able to take that knowledge and do something with it. And I think we have kind of we have the knowledge and we and we have we have an expected outcome, but I'm not sure we have necessarily those bits in the middle as it's currently set out. And maybe even a little bit obstructive towards that in some ways that actually there's not an agreement about what this knowledge is to be used for, which I think can be a little bit confusing. And I think another thing that came up quite a lot in the conversations was about the kind of desire to have spaces where they could talk about things that were difficult or controversial or risky, but just those sort of those open spaces where it's not about learning facts about the environment, but actually it's looking at what are the difficult questions that we that we need to be aware of, that we need to talk about, that we need to resolve together. And how do we talk across difference? Because there was a, a sense, I think, sometimes that, that was there wasn't a great deal of space or time for doing that. But that's a really important thing to be able to do when you're talking about the response to the climate crisis, for example. And decoupled from assessment, that was a real call that these kind of, as a capability, right, we don't have to assess that. We have to develop that and enable people to develop that in school. It's it's not something that necessarily needs to be assessed and examined. And that's driving the pressure on curriculum is because actually we've got to, we've got to get all of this knowledge covered for the assessments. We haven't got time to think about the difficult questions and that's not to be critical of the teachers involved there. I suppose what, what this leads us to a little bit is in terms of the the manifesto and what it says and what the, the call call to action that it provides. But and I'm also interested in in talking a little bit about the I suppose the background papers or the the separate briefings that you've published along the way, as it were, because I don't think we can talk about them without talking about the manifesto because they complement it. But if you sort of had to sum up the the key messages from the manifesto itself, what would they be and who would they be aimed at? I guess from the manifesto, I think the the key message is that there 
there's something that people can do no matter what their context is. So um, the manifesto is presented and kind of organised by where the influence is, whether it's at the teacher and classroom level, whether it's at the school level, the policy level or community level. So what it tries to do is suggest what are the the priorities that teachers and young people see at each of those levels. Do you you want to say a little bit more for, for the audience in terms of what some of those priorities are for those different bodies. Lizzie, do you want to go with with some of that in terms of what should people be doing? Yeah, I mean, if we start at policy level, so young people really want leaders and and policymakers to um, engage with them and their teachers in relation to education for environmental sustainability. And I think we have seen some of that happening with the draft strategy that's come out um, from England in in, that came out at the end of last year. There is a there is a um, it's a draft strategy. There is the opportunity for young people in different groups to engage in discussion. So that is a positive sign there. I think in terms of the the community level, um, young people and teachers are calling for schools to be seen as kind of community hubs for sustainability, where people from across the community can work together, collaborate, whether that's got a project in the school grounds to with an allotment focus, if that's if that's something that's possible for that school, or whether it's about opportunities for learning across different groups to to get sustainability education in at a community level so that it's not just something that we learn about um, in school. And and thinking about the, the kind of the role of the curriculum, you know, young people and teachers want to be involved in curriculum reviews that can look for ways to foreground education for environmental sustainability so that it isn't dependent on which subject you choose to study at school. That was a real a real call that there had to be some way to integrate sustainability throughout education so that, you know, if you don't do geography at GCSE and then you don't pick it up again, that, that does really diminish the opportunities to to learn about the environment. Um, and that's that's that just can't be right. And um, there surely should be ways to to integrate that. So there's, there's a bit of a flavour of some of the demands. I don't know if you want to pick up on any others, Linda. I don't think so, only to say that as well as the teaching and learning being important kind of operations or or practices or processes within the whole school were important. So they were seeing education as not just about what they were learning, but also like how the school deals with its waste, gets its energy and things like that. So seeing it as as something that's about the whole school and not just yeah individual subjects or teaching and learning. And in terms of, I suppose, a uh ongoing research agenda what partly for, for the two of you but also coming out of the manifesto what are the things that researchers should be thinking about next as well as supporting this kind of sort of activism in, in the classroom what are the kind of things that we should be worrying about i mean so we're, we've got just maybe to start off with what we're doing next so one of the things um, that we've mentioned before was around those difficult the difficult questions and so we're creating space through a series of climate education online workshops to have discussions about those those topics so we've got a session on the anthropocene on big questions on um, the place of kind of student involvement in research. So teachers and, and young people 16 plus are very welcome to join us in those. And that's to help us think through a wider piece of work around climate education leadership and thinking about different models of leadership and not thinking about climate education leadership as being the responsibility of, of one person with that kind of named responsibility. And that echoes the manifesto call that actually young people and teachers really want accountability and leadership in this space. So yes, there is the thing of having somebody on the governing body or somebody on the school senior leadership team with that responsibility, but how do we devolve that leadership across schools and communities? Um, so that's some of our ongoing work. Now, one of the, the really innovative things about 
about this piece of work really was in terms of the the final manifesto you had something that was designed with with it, sort of imagery as much as words in it and and I suppose can you tell us a little bit about both the the wonderful work of the artist that you got to do that but also your thinking behind that so Maisie Summer is the artist and illustrator whose work you can see in the manifesto absolutely beautiful illustrations and I think my starting point when thinking about the manifesto as an illustrated manifesto or as a comic was really wanting to create something that would be appealing and engaging for young people. That was kind of the start. I wanted the product to be something that you'd actually want to look at and look at really closely. So I've obviously looked at it a lot, but every time I look at it, you see a new detail, a new element, and it is so thoughtfully put together to echo the conversations, the discussions that happened in the workshop. So really must give huge credit to Maisie for her incredible work there. But beyond that, it's about drawing on the skills and approaches of Maisie as an artist and her colleague, Laura Price, who really helped us think through the artist-facilitated workshops, to use those approaches to create more space to think about solutions, to, to imagine the future that we want to see for education, for environmental sustainability. And I think that was done through thinking about, well, what would the school look like? Let's draw elements of a school site where education for environmental sustainability was at the centre, was at the core. And that has then ended up in some really beautiful illustrations. And uh, I mean, I I would love to go to the school that's depicted in in the manifesto. Um, That would have been wonderful. I know it's a little bit, it's an imagination, right? It's a future that we want. So that sometimes is a little bit painful because we don't have that yet. But at at the same time, um, I think we've got to have hope in these conversations, I think far too often, for very good reason, it's, it's quite strained, it's quite negative, and um, and the IPCC report, you know, underlines the the real challenge that we face. But if we don't have hope, then we're much less likely to act and act positively. I was, I was about to say, I think that was a really nice way of ending the conversation in terms of that that hope and that optimism for what what can happen next so I'll, I'll draw this conversation to a close now and thank you both for your time not just today but also in the work you put into the the commission and the and indeed the research intelligence and the event and all the things that have flowed from it and i hope that some of the work that you've described in terms of what's happening next is is really positive and that this agenda grows and grows can we just before we end can we just say a huge thank you to Vera and everybody involved for their support. This has genuinely been such a wonderful project to be part of um, and we felt supported and encouraged at every step of the way. So thank you very much. Good to hear. Yeah, and thanks also to the wider members of the the Research Commission and all of the teachers and young people who, who gave their time to create the manifesto together. Well, thank you very much again to Linda and Lizzie and I hope you enjoyed that conversation. To find out more about the work of the Research Commission and to see the beautifully illustrated manifesto as well as the background papers, blogs, a recording of the launch event, links to the latest issue of Research Intelligence and more resources, please visit www.bira.ac.uk forward slash resources forward slash projects and you will find it there. And as part of the next stages of their work, as they mentioned in our discussion, Linda and Lizzie are hosting Climate Education Conversations, a series of online seminars to discuss climate change education, questions, priorities and approaches. These are open to anyone over 16 with an interest in climate education. Further details are in the information about this podcast or can be found via the University of Org's website. Or if you are quick, they can be found at www tinyurl.com forward slash 2s48 
V9U3. tinyurl.com forward slash 2S48V9U3. Thanks very much for joining us today and look forward to talking again next week. Thank you.